Hello and welcome to the Bible and Me podcast brought to you by Precept UK. We are a charity based here in Salisbury focused mainly on Bible study resources and it's our mission to equip people to know God deeply and to live differently as a result. For more information, visit precept.org.uk. But firstly, I just want to start this off by saying a massive thank you to all of our listeners. We are so blessed now to be releasing Series 7 and we couldn't have got there without your incredible testimonies and reviews. If you aren't already, we would love it if you would consider subscribing so that you won't miss out on ordinary people with interesting stories about an extraordinary God. But without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I am really uh, delighted to be interviewing uh, Lucy Hendry uh, today for the Bible and Me podcast. Lucy is an experienced barrister uh, specializing in children's law. She acts on cases involving wide-ranging issues, including serious injuries, death, sex abuse, neglect, addiction, and mental health. Her clients include parents, guardians, and local authorities. She's known for being, quote, brilliant with clients, fantastic to deal with, and is very conscientious. So um, that sounds wonderful. Lucy loves travel, music, theatre, walking, bird watching, and, uh, and spending time with family and friends. She's not so keen on sailing or swimming. She's married to Athol, and they have uh, two grown children, uh, Oliver and Anna, and Lucy loves the Lord. So, Lucy, welcome to the programme. Thank you, Nigel. Um, Lucy, how did you come to faith in Jesus, and why do you follow him? The short answer to that is that I did Alpha. The longer answer to that is that I didn't come to faith until my 30s, mid-30s. And I grew up in a household. I've heard a lot of your um, people who've been interviewed say this. I grew up in a household where I was taken to church on high days and holidays. And um, I certainly believed in God, God the Father. I had no idea about a personal relationship with Jesus. I didn't know who the Holy Spirit was, let alone that I could um, be filled with him. Um, But having said all of that, faith was important, or I thought it was in those days. Being married in church was really important. Being thankful when our children were born, really important. Understood that, respected that. But I did not know Jesus. Um, wind forward a few years and my mother received a terminal diagnosis of cancer and it took two years for her to die and in the course of that two years I watched her come to terms with the fact that she was dying and in her own faith have absolute deep-seated conviction about where she was headed and that made a massive impact on me Mm. and I couldn't really understand what informed that. I don't think she shared the reason for her hope with me. Or if she did, I missed it. Maybe the spiritual battle was going on and I completely missed it. But wind forward six months after she died and we were driving to school one day, Oliver was at primary school and he opened his lunchbox and he said to me, mommy, if I throw this crunchy bar up into the sky, Will Granny catch it in heaven? Now, first and foremost, I don't know why there was a chocolate bar in the box in the first place, because I never gave my children chocolate. 
um, they will tell you if they were sitting here that I gave them brown bread sandwiches and they used to try and put them in the bin. But actually in that moment, I can remember it vividly. I remember where I was. I remember thinking, I don't want to fudge the answer to you. And I don't know what the answer is. And mm. I realized then that I didn't know what I believed in and I could influence my, my child. A friend of mine was doing alpha. I was hearing about it weekly from her. And on the back of an invitation coffee morning at church, I signed up to do it and greatly helped by Joyce Binder, that name will be familiar to you, um, who lived in the same village and sort of handheld me and introduced me to faith um, and walked alongside me in the very early years of my faith. And, so I did Alpha. Yeah. Um, and by about week four, I think it was, I had made that commitment and given my life to the Lord, um, recognizing that I had to do that. There was, it was, it was no option. It was very straightforward, actually. Yeah. Um, you asked me, why do I follow Jesus? Um, and the reason I follow him is because he is, he is truth. And he is a, a sort of center, if you like, for me, I come back to him all the time. And I have experienced his grace and his mercy and he has dealt with me in an incredibly um, gracious way, a really gentle way. I felt like he's unpeeled the layers of the onion of my life and has caused me to confront issues about me or how I deal with situations or how I deal with people. Um, and he has given life meaning. I don't, yeah, I was always very happy beforehand, don't get me wrong, but I didn't appreciate what I was missing. Yeah. Um, and when I came to know Jesus, there was a meaning and a purpose, which was just incredible. There was a fulfillment, if you like. And at the end of the day, he is always faithful. So whatever the situation I find myself in, I know that he will be alongside me in that place yeah. and he will sustain me. And that's why I follow him. That's wonderful. That, that is fantastic. Um, Amen to that. And I love, I love what you said about Oliver chucking a chocolate bar into the sky. And, uh, you know, God uses the most amazing things, doesn't he, to get us thinking. And obviously you're, you're a barrister. You don't, you don't want to be telling lies to your kids. And you suddenly realize, actually, I don't know the answer to this. And, yeah. and then just a few weeks later, whatever, you've got an alpha course to go to. So just, just brilliant. Absolutely love it. Now, on connected with that, Nigel, was that the invitation coffee morning uh, to St. Paul's, it was Anne Coles who was, who was um, speaking that morning. And it was just a revelatory experience to walk into a church where everybody was welcoming. It was the most wonderful atmosphere. And she was speaking and she was so cool. And I just remember being completely wowed that this could be an experience of, of church. It was yeah. very attractive. Yeah. Um, and I think that was really helpful as, yeah. as well. I'm, I'm ashamed to say it was hugely helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Now, on leaving school, you read law at Kingston Poly uh, and then went to bar school in London. Um, why did you choose law? And uh, for the uninitiated, what is bar school? For somebody that's been in the army, bar, a bar school is like you're going to the bar and you're going to get drunk, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Well, there was a bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, why why did you read law and and um what is bar school 
I can't honestly remember why I chose law. Um, I suspect being the youngest of, of three siblings, I was pretty good um, at holding an argument in our family. And I certainly had a keen sense of justice and injustice growing up as well. Um, there was a curiosity about that. I can't remember what the initial spark was, but I do know that having expressed that interest, I quite quickly did some relevant work experience with firms of solicitors. And then I was fortunate enough to spend some time with some barristers up in London. And I was exposed to a profession and a way of life that just was great. I was I was really excited by it. Um, and I, yeah, I was I, I was set my heart on it. Um, but what I wasn't quite so good at doing was actually working. Um, and so when it came to A-levels, I was having way too much fun at school and I flunked my A-levels. I didn't flunk them, but I certainly didn't get good enough grades for university. And I didn't do any better in my retakes a term later either. But we lived in Kingston and I took myself up the hill and banged on the door of the admissions tutor of Kingston Poly and asked her to interview me. I remember her now, she was terrifying. Asked her to interview me and she did. And I got a place at Kingston, um, which was fantastic. It was really practical. Uh, we did a lot of mock trials and mooting and I, I enjoyed it. Still didn't work very hard, which wasn't great. Did just about well enough to get to bar school. And bar school is, um, if you want to practice after your degree, uh, whether you've done a degree in law or whether you've converted, if you want to practice as a lawyer, you have to choose, are you going to go down the solicitor route or are you going to go down the barrister route? And if you choose the barrister route, you go to bar school for a year. And in my day, there was only one, and that was in London. And so I found myself there for a year. And it was there that I pulled my socks up and recognised that if I wanted to really practice as a barrister, it was seriously competitive. I was going to need to get good grades in bar school to be able to do the next stage of my training, which was pupillage. So you knuckled down. Now, from 1988 to 1995, you were a barrister in London and also in the Midlands. Uh, what are your memories of that time? I have really fond memories of that time, formative time as a, as a young barrister, but um, I was practicing the temple in London, small, small set of chambers. Um, and first and foremost, what I remember about it was the sense of camaraderie. You, uh, it's an, I think it's a little bit like the army. You, you work with your friends um, and, and they really are your friends. So you could, it's an extraordinary, I think, to a lay person to see it in action because you can be hammer and tongs with each other in a courtroom and you can walk out of the courtroom and go to the bar and have a drink together and all is well. Um, and it's just, it's a very special environment to work in. Um, but I was, I was very fortunate. I, I had a small set of chambers. We all knew each other very well. And that set of chambers specialised in clinical negligence and personal injury, which is what I'd set my heart on. I thought that's what I wanted to do. Having said that, as a very junior, newly qualified barrister, whilst I saw that in paperwork, I didn't see it in court work. And I spent four years running around London suburbs to pretty grimy courts, finding, I was very good at finding the Greasy Spoon cafes and sitting there having my breakfast and having a last look at my papers. Um, and if I was lucky enough to get back to Chambers at lunchtime, my head of Chambers, who didn't go to court very often, but loved a good lunch, he would take whoever was around out for lunch. 
Um, and I mean a good lunch. So it was three or four courses and lots of wine. And I was far too junior and too polite to refuse any of that hospitality. So it made the afternoons quite tricky. And my, my desk faced the wall because traditionally, if you're a pupil barrister and you're brand new, you face the wall in an old fashioned set of chambers. And my pupil master would sit behind me and bark at me to wake up because I wasn't turning the pages quickly enough. Um, so it was a lot of fun. And then at, during that time as well, I met Athol. He was doing a job in London. Um, and subsequently we got married in 92. And then we went to Germany because he was in the army. And I had a year out there doing some court martial work, which was a bit different. Yeah. I have to say, I didn't really know what I was up to. And then we were posted back to Shropshire and I spent a year practicing in the Midlands. And that's where it all came together momentarily because I realized that doing family work, you had a lovely combination of medicine that I was fascinated in, crime, because often you're trying to work out who's caused the injuries in child protection cases and the people story, the, the human story. Um, and I realized that if I, was really going to have a career at the bar that was going to be my thing but I was expecting Oliver and so I stopped my my career in 95 when he was born and I left thinking I would never come back yeah and so so yeah so so you you stopped as you said there being a barrister and became um you became a recruitment researcher and then a fundraiser for the Trussell Trust which sounds very different to being a barrister how how did how did that happen? Because it, it was a little bit later that you then returned to the bar, but how did that, how did that happen? Well, first and foremost, I was a mum and a wife, um, and we and I loved it, absolutely loved it. I had no regrets about not being at the bar at all. Um, we got posted to Wilton here in, in, in Salisbury, and when the children were at school, so primary school and preschool and, and back in the day, I wanted to work a little bit just to keep my brain ticking over and to earn a little bit of money and I was one of the girls that, um, who was a, a mum with with me at, at one of the schools knew of a of a chap who had a recruitment research agency and it was literally down the road from where we lived um, and so I was taken on there we were a very very small team um, but that coincided with me doing alpha and my conversion and I very quickly realized that God did not want me being a recruitment researcher. Nothing wrong with recruitment research, don't get me wrong, but he, that was not his plan for me. And the difficulty was that I, I lacked the courage to fess up to Athel that I wanted out from recruitment research. I think he probably thought I'd gone a bit mad anyway, having become a Christian and I was very overexcited. Um, and I lacked the, I, yeah, I found it really hard to say to him that God actually had a different plan for me and my life and so here's the thing myself and my friend were sitting in church on a Sunday she being the new Christian who had done Alpha just before me we said I'll tell you what Lucy we'll pray for you to be sacked and so we lit I promise you we sat in church Sunday evening I can I can remember it vividly dear God please please can Lucy be sacked um, <laughs> amen and I went to work the next day and my boss sidled up to me and he said, I am really, really sorry, but we haven't got enough work at the moment. And since you were the last one that we took on, I have to let you go. <laughs> and I 
danced for joy. <laughs> he must have thought, well, he must have wondered what on earth was going on. And I was able to say to Apple in all good conscience, you know, I, I've, I've been let go. I can't do that job anymore. And then a few weeks later, I was um, in a meeting at, at St. Paul's and we were all introducing ourselves. We, we didn't know each other. And I must have said something along the lines of, I'm, I, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing in terms of work. Um, and woe betide, about a week later, I got a call from Paddy Henderson, who was the founding trustee of the Trussell Trust. And he said, will you come and have a chat? Would you, would you think about working for us? Um, and that's how it was that I came to work with the Trussell Trust as a fundraiser. And it was amazing because it was in a Christian workplace and I was a brand new Christian and I was exposed to somebody who not only talked the talk, but walked the walk in yeah. Christian life. And it was a phenomenal experience. Yeah, wonderful. And, and obviously lots of people would have heard of the Trussell Trust and the Food Bank Network now across the UK. Now, you returned to the bar in 2004. Um, can you give us an idea of the sorts of issues that you have to deal with in your day-to-day -day work? Just to paint a picture for people. Yeah, so I specialise in children law and there are two branches to that. So there's private law, which is when um, parents are separating and they can't agree on the arrangements for their children. Um, and they can be super complex cases. The dynamics between the parents can be very difficult. And there can often be allegations, sadly, of abuse or sexual abuse or domestic violence. Um, and that is very prevalent. So that's one side of my working life. The other side of my life is public law, where the state intervenes and social workers are um, asserting that children are suffering significant harm. Um, and for that read, really serious injury. Often, for example, if a baby's sadly been shaken by a frustrated parent, um, sometimes death, um, again, sexual abuse, um, neglect. Um, and those cases frequently involve or tend to involve parents who are of themselves very vulnerable. They may have mental health issues, addiction issues. There may be, may be cognitive difficulties. Um, and my, my passion is to represent parents actually in that scenario and to make sure that their voice is heard, um, but ultimately that the right decision is made for the children in the case, whatever, whatever the case happens to be. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Um, I mean, I'm interested to hear how being a Christian, how does that impact how you deal with these really, really complicated situations? Um, how how does how does God lead you? You know, you're a Christian, you, you love the Lord, and yet you're out there dealing with these really difficult situations. How does your impact your 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 faith impact how you do what you do? I think I've got a lot more compassion and a lot more patience. I have to deal. My clients are often very challenging by virtue of their mental health and their own vulnerabilities, um, and. Somehow, God has given me the energy and the compassion to just keep going, keep trying to connect, keep trying to get through to them, establish that rapport with them and earn their trust as well. So that at the end of the day, you're dealing with some really personal stuff and they have to 
um, as best they're able to sh share their life story with you. Um, and that is hard to, to achieve. Um, first and foremost, I think I, I boundary my professional life in prayer. Um, and that is really crucial because without prayer, without tapping into the resource of prayer, um, which is, there are multi aspects to that. So first I will pray that, you know, God would actually help me to navigate my way around the papers. I can be dealing with thousands of pages. I mean, properly thousands of pages. And sometimes he'll wake me up in the night and say, you haven't looked at page L804. And I'll go and look at page L804 and blow me down. There's an absolutely crucial piece of evidence. Or I've read something, but I didn't take a note of it. I've forgotten where it was. And he'll show me where it was. Wow. Um, other times I know, I, I know that he speaks through me in the courtroom. I can feel it happening. And he inspires me and he inspires the cross-examination. And you've heard me tell you, you know, I, I deal with really complex cases with serious injuries. I'm not a doctor. Mm. Um, and yet he helps me navigate that sort of subject matter expertise and puts me and in, puts me into the right place in terms of research and people to talk to. And I've learned my trade. So he's in and around all of it. But praying for my clients is a massive part of it, praying that they will they will engage with the proceedings and praying for their well-being and praying for them when they're in the witness box and praying that justice is done and the yeah. right decisions are made because fundamentally yeah. you want children to be safe um, and you want them to have a good childhood yeah. Um, yeah wow that's incredible that is incredible what a wonderful thing to hear how involved the lord is in what you're doing i think that's fantastic now um, in leading up to this um, this chat we're having, I asked what challenges or struggles you you have. Uh, I asked all the interviewees that question, and you said imposter syndrome at work. And I thought I've never heard of that. That <laughs> uh, so I had to look it up. Uh, uh, and my understanding of this is is that when successful individuals doubt their competence and hold back from taking risks for fear of failure, so would that is that your understanding of what what you were writing there? Not not quite. I, I'm probably a little more clunky in my understanding of it. But um, I think what I mean, I think most barristers actually do suffer with imposter syndrome. Many don't admit it. Um, but I think what I mean is that I feel as though um, I'm going to be found out. I shouldn't really be doing it. Um, <laughs> so you've got to remember that I had a lot of years away from the bar. And so when I came back, um, I, I actually recognised that I lacked a professional identity and I certainly lacked professional confidence. I mean, I was very much just a mum in, in those days. And I don't mean to do mums down at all, but, you know, I it was a massive leap to suddenly be be back in a working environment and I don't know if you ever watched the series faking it where they roll the tv cameras into the in, in and expose the person for literally faking it and I, I had this fear that that was going to happen to me that I'd be in court one day and the cameras would roll in and say Lucy Hendry you are faking it you're not meant to be here yeah. um, but I think the bottom line is that you know, I deal with or I'm against day in day out super brainy 
very intellectual, very bright people. And I, I, yes, you'll say I'm clever because I have a law degree and I'm a, a qualified barrister, but I'm not intellectually super, super stratospheric clever compared with many that I um, come up against. And so there's always a little bit of me that thinks I'm not as good as you. Um, and that's what I mean by imposter syndrome. Yeah. But I also recognize there's no place for it because I am really convicted that God is having me do this work. Um, and he will therefore equip me for it. Yeah. And so I have to trust that. Yeah. But the, the, the human Lucy, the devil gets in sometimes and says, you're not good enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, all, we all have that. We all have that. Now, now you have recently been appointed Queen's Council or QC. Um, I understand that this is reserved for barristers or solicitors advocates who have been recognised for excellence in their uh, in their role. Uh, they're often seen as leaders in their area of law and generally take on more complex cases that require a higher level of legal expertise. Um, did God lead you to apply to become Queen's Counsel? Because I understand it's an extremely rigorous application process. And I know that this has only recently happened. So many congratulations to you. Thank you. Yes, it it's, um, doesn't formally take effect until next month, but I found out in December. And you're right, it is a rigorous process. It's, um, you have to apply and it's a long old application form and you have to um, cite all sorts of different cases that demonstrate excellence in, in your particular field of law. And then importantly, you have to hope that you have to cite referees, so judges and fellow barristers and solicitors, um, and hope that they will all say the right things about you, because unless you, you do hit that bar of excellence, um, then you don't get beyond first base. Um, and I've applied previously and not got beyond first base. Um, and but if you're fortunate enough to, to be offered an interview, you then have an interview um, and then you find out whether or not you've got the appointment. So the whole process takes about eight months. It's a long old it's yeah. a long old thing. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think God, he did lead me to it. I resisted it. I think, again, that was that sort of human frailty coming into into being and. A lot of my colleagues and judges were good enough to say, you know, you, you, you should be doing this. Um, and I, firstly, it was a little bit of really, do you really think I should be doing this? And secondly, there was that sense of, mm, I'm not sure that feels like a bit of a worldly accolade, that sort of recognition. And I'm not, there's a bit of pride there. And I, and I, I'm really not sure how that fits with my faith. God, are you really sure that um, I need to be a QC? How am I going to make a difference? For you, how am I going to give you the glory if I have that wonderful privilege of being a QC? Or is it all, all then just going to be about Lucy? Yeah. Um, and I had to really work through that. And perhaps not getting it um, early doors was, was good. It helped me to deal with my own self and disappointment um, and come to terms with that. And I learned a lot in the whole process. Yeah. And you have to make yourself vulnerable. You have to be prepared to expose yourself and expose yourself to what others think about you yeah. um, and rely on their references. So that's, that's quite tricky. But I think I've just trusted that if God would have me be a silk and I can make a difference for him with, with those initials after my name, um, that is amazing. And, yeah. I will, and I'm, yeah, I'm thrilled to bits and I'm yeah. looking forward to it. 
um, I'll never have an easy case again. So it's going to be a huge challenge. Oh, I mean, does it? Does, does the Queen give you something? I mean, you're called Queen's Council. I mean, does that mean you go to Buckingham Palace for something? <laughs> so what happens is that the Queen has to give her permission to the appointment. And I will receive letters patents um, next month which is the formality, it's the, it's the wording of it and the formality of it. Ordinarily, that would happen in a lovely ceremony in London. And we all dress up and look, and look a bit daft, actually, um, in long-bottomed wigs and, and gowns and a lot of silkiness. Um, but because of COVID, that ceremony has been pushed to the right. They are hoping to hold it in either August or September, I think. But I am allowed to practice as a QC with a 15th of March. Well, that is, that is absolutely wonderful. That is wonderful. And I understand that you're, you're doing your work now from home, actually. You're doing a lot of it sort of online rather than actually going into courtrooms, aren't you? That's exactly right. Since COVID last March um, and all of this started, um, I was up in Preston doing a big trial there. And on day two, we were sent home. And since then, 95% of the work has been done online. And essentially the judge has to decide each case is this if it's going to be a trial is this trial going to be one that requires us to be in the courtroom or are we going to do it remotely um, and that is driven by the justice of the case so can justice be done if actually the clients the lay clients are sitting in their in their homes have they yeah. got access to technology do they are they able to be private all, all of those sorts of things come into play and I'm guess there's a great temptation to be sitting there with very very smart jacket, and be you know beneath the table you're sitting in your jammies and wearing your slippers. I think Nigel, I I think that's not a temptation. I think that's a reality <laughs> for many. Um, no, ser- seriously, I I tend to dress pretty smartly because I just it's a bit like putting on the uniform but I have I do have my slippers and in the winter months I have my slippers on which obviously would not go into the courtroom with me (laughs) now one of the struggles that we all have as Christians uh, is for those that we love our friends family you know cousins so to to become followers of Jesus like 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 we are um you know as I said we all have this um I have it, you know, we all have. How, how do you deal with that? Um, I deal with it now very differently to how I used to deal with it. I think when I was first a Christian, I was so overexcited and I wanted to share it with everybody. And I was zealous is the right expression. <laughs> and I think that was probably very off-putting. I wish I could wind the clock back and, and do it differently. Um, and then I think what I did was actually I massively retreated I didn't say anything at all. Um, and I didn't, I didn't share my faith because I was scared of putting my size 10 foot in it. And it's taken me a, a lot of time and a lot of maturing to work out that I need to be really prayerful. You know, there's every, each person is different. Um, some people require you to say something. Some people require you to say nothing, but to be a good witness. Um, and I've just had to work on a sort of person by person basis. My heart breaks for people, members of my family, my husband, my children, who, who do not yet know the Lord. And I just long for them to, to, to know him because I know the difference that he makes in my own life yeah. um, and family and, and lots of friends who, who don't yet know him. Um, but trying to 
come alongside people and trying to get it right, do it as Jesus would do it. You know, what would he have me say or do to a particular person? Is it is it an act? Is it um, sending them a song? Is it just yeah. what I say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and being, sensitive, to, being sensitive to the leading. Yeah, leading. And meet them where they're at, understand yeah. where they're at and where they're coming from um, before I just pull in as I'm, as I'm apt to do. Yeah, very good. Now we talked. We talked a little bit about your faith. Um, now you you are a Bible um, study group leader. Um, how you continue to do that with your with your workload? I've got no idea. Uh, and you are you are a serious student of of the Word of God. Um, why why is the Bible important to you? And and why do you find time? Uh, why do you why do you take the time? that you do to study it why is, why why do you do that i think well it's it's important because it's it's just my frame of reference it has it all doesn't it so the, the bible is full of truth and it's my instruction book i i go back time and time again actually to good old i can't remember the verse in timothy you will know it um that it's good for teaching and admonishing and yeah. um, i just i rely on that and i know that it contains all that I need to do life and to do it better. And so if I can bring myself back to the Bible, um, then that's going to be hugely helpful day to day. Um, and I, yeah, I love it. It's the book that keeps on giving, Nigel. Every time you open it, there's something new to be found, isn't, isn't there? So, and also you're, I'm in a different place. So as I mature, I can read the same verses and I can get different things out of them. Um, and so now I, I love it for myself and I'm passionate about sharing yeah. it with, with others um, and hope that they can get out of it what I do. That's wonderful. Now, you, you're a legal advocate, but you're also an advocate of this thing called inductive Bible study. Why, why is that? I think fundamentally because it's forensic in its approach. So um, for anyone listening who doesn't know what it is, um, approaching the text with the who, what, where, when and why um, helps me to really slow down and to just I'm very guilty of reading something very quickly and not processing it terribly well <laughs> um, and I have to do that I have to do that in my job on one level and then I need to get into the nitty-gritty so it's very similar actually the sort of forensic approach um, to my work is similar to the forensic approach in inductive bible study and you are interrogating the text and you're trying to find out exactly who it's about, what it's about, when it was written, the cultural aspect of it, and why it was written. And then, of course, you've got the application. And it works. So that's why I'm passionate about it, because I've realised for me that when I have slowed right down and approached the text in, in, in that way, um, I get so much out of it. And then I'm better placed to apply it in my own life going forward. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and for those of you that may be listening, obviously, uh, this is a podcast put out by Precept uh, in the UK. And, and our heart and our passion is to equip people to be able to do what Lucy's been talking about, you know, to actually read the Bible for all it's worth. You say it's a book that keeps on giving, but if we don't know how to access it, it's not going to give us anything. 
And so I think I love that description there. And um, so if you if you're interested, if you struggle with reading and understanding and studying the word of God, please do contact us. We would be delighted to help you with this. Now, um, Lucy, uh, do you have a favorite Bible book uh, or character? I have two. I have two favourite books. So one's Old Testament and one's New Testament. The the Old Testament book is Ruth, um, and it's no coincidence, perhaps, because my mother-in-law is called Ruth. So I think that's what drew me to Ruth in the in the in the first place. But I love Ruth because it's just a book that's full of real life, real emotions. You get the raw emotion of of Naomi, who's been widowed, and how she feels and pouring herself out to God in that place. And then you get the loyalty of Ruth and the obedience of Ruth um, and the gentleness of Ruth. She's everything I would love to be. Um, and then you get the integrity of Boaz and how he how he has de- dealt with um, dealt with um, Ruth herself. And I, it's just the most wonderful book. It's so vivid mm-hmm. and it's and it's real life as it, as it then was. But I think it's there's a lot of that going on now. Um, and then James is my New Testament book because that just is full of goodies, isn't it? It's full of instruction. Um, it's my go-to. And I look, I'm looking at my Bible now and I, I was just looking at how I'd filled in James at a glance. Um, and a mature Christian is patient in trial and temptation. A mature Christian practices the word. A mature Christian controls the tongue, lesson to self. A, contro- a mature Christian makes peace and practices humility, seeks God in all things. And a mature Christian prays. And so that book, you know, this is James, who was not a believer when Jesus was alive but subsequent to him dying has given us this wisdom and I just, it's stacked full of, of goodies. Um, and we, we need to take pay heed to what he says in there. Cause it's really good. Fantastic. Fantastic. I think you're the first person to cite the book of James actually, in ah! book, which is great. Now, what about a favorite verse? Well, my go-to verse, um, and it tells you something of, of my life and my professional life is Joshua um, chapter one, verse nine, because I just call on that verse when I'm walking into court or I'm approaching a really difficult situation. I just call on God and he reminds me to be strong and courageous and not to tremble and not to fear or be dismayed because he's going to be with me. Whatever I face during the day, he's going to be with me. And when I click into that and I own it, and I'm there in that moment, I know that God's in control. And that is my go-to verse. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. So I've got one final question, Lucy. um, And that is, what's next for Mrs. Lucy Hendry? Well, I have no idea. Um, God's got a plan, hasn't he? And I do trust that he'll work all things together for good. Um, I think there's a lot of hard work ahead for me professionally in the immediate next chapter. But as long as he's at the forefront of it, that is fine. I'm excited for that. Um, And otherwise, we'll see. I think we will see. I I really don't know what's going to be around the corner, Nigel. But we just live day by day and enjoy the light that we're in. Amen to that. Amen. Well, Lucy, um, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I think it's a 
Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful story, a wonderful journey of, 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 of God sort of interacting with you through children, through parents, you know, your mom and her faith. And, and then all of a sudden you find yourself on an alpha course and things start to click. And, you know, I think what, what I love about it is you, you, faith is a very integral part of who you are and, and what you, God's called you to do. You know, faith isn't just something that you get involved with on a Sunday or maybe on a Bible study during the midweek, but actually you're, you're living out, seeking to live out your faith as you are living out the work, the very, very important work, I have to say, that God has called you to. And, and clearly um, that's been recognized uh, professionally, but I'm sure the Lord's uh, smiling as well as you're seeking to do his bidding on behalf of, of uh, parents, children, and as you say, seeking justice for them. So thank you, Lucy. May the Lord bless you in, in uh, being a QC. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much too, Nigel.